0: Hey, this is Paul Doherty. I'm the pastor of Victory Church, and I wanna thank you for joining us today on the podcast. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it reminds you that God is not finished with you yet, and your best days are right in front of you. Enjoy the message. Come on. Well, hey, we have been in this series called St. Paul, and this is one of my most favorite series we've ever done as a church. How many of y'all were here last week for part one? Man, this was we, we, got, we got into who Paul was before he was Paul, that he used to be a guy named Saul, and Saul had a really bad past. And what we, what we learned last week is that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. I don't care how sanctified you look in this church, you got a past, you got a BC, a before Christ, something that maybe you're not proud of, some things you've done. How many of you know there's a past in your life that maybe you're, you're thankful for the amazing grace of God? And if you're not raising your hand, there's an altar call at the end, and you can be honest and repent for lying. The truth is, none of us in this room come in here uh, with a perfect past. I almost want to put a sign on our door when people come in that says, no perfect people allowed here. Because the truth is, all of us are being prepared for who God's made us to be. And if you, you might say, well, Paul, I mean, I am perfect in Christ. Christ perfects us, not our performance, not what we've done. And so we come in here, we all are in need of the grace of God, and what we find in the life of Saint Paul is that this dude had a past that needed a lot of grace. The same guy that would later on write about the amazing grace of God needed to figure out that it wasn't all about his works. He was a strict Pharisee. He did all the religious duties. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, and you can get loud. We get loud when we open up the Bible. And I want to talk to you about what God did in Paul's life after he got saved. Today, I want to talk to you about the process. Everybody say process. The process. For everything in our life, there is a process. There's a process of preparation. Farmers know this, that there's a process of sowing and reaping. That if you want to get a harvest, there's a process of of, uh, tilling the soil, preparing it, laying down the seed. Right? There's There's a season, a process of preparation before you see the harvest in your life. What we're gonna learn today in this season of Paul's life is that God privately prepares us before he publicly promotes us. He privately prepares us, that that God shows us through the life of Paul that there's always a private preparation before there's a public promotion. Private preparation precedes public promotion. All of us in this room have desires, dreams, ideas, things that God's called us to do one day. How many of you guys are waiting on something right now in this season? You're waiting, right? Some of you are waiting to have children. Some of you are waiting to get married. Where's all the singles in the house? All right. Come on, look around, look around. Scope out the territory. All of us in this room, we're waiting on something. We're waiting on a spouse, or you're waiting on children, or maybe you're waiting for your children to grow up, or maybe you're waiting—you know—you're waiting on a promotion, you're waiting on increase, you're waiting on a check in the mail, you're waiting for a job. All of us are waiting on something. Ashley and I, right now, we are waiting on our third child to come. Right? So we are pregnant right now, or she's pregnant, not me. And uh, but I had something to do with it. Come on, Jesus. TMI, too much information. But uh cleanse your thoughts in Jesus name Holy Spirit help us right now y'all are like what language is he talking it's a language I'm going to talk about in this series the language of the Holy Spirit Paul talks about the gift of speaking in tongues and we need it it's not a gift for 2,000 years ago it's a gift even for today But Paul had a past. He was a saint with the past, a sinner with the future. God was transforming his life. So he gets to Galatians chapter one, and what we're gonna discover here is Paul leads us into the process. Preparation, Galatians 1, verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. So he says, I didn't get this from a bunch of philosophers. Peter didn't teach me this. Matthew didn't teach me this. The guys who followed Jesus didn't teach me this. I got this straight from Jesus himself. Can I tell you today, God doesn't want you to have a revelation just from somebody else's revelation. God wants you to have a personal revelation of who he is. In the world of so many sermons online and podcasts and YouTube, we can listen to everybody except for Jesus. And what God wants to do, he says, Paul, I've got revelation that's fresh from me for you. You don't have to pull it from T.D. Jakes, even though he's an amazing preacher. You don't have to pull it from this person. I've got something that I want to download in you that's straight from me. God wants you to have a personal, real, authentic, genuine revelation. So he says, I didn't receive it from man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He says, you've heard about my previous way of life. I love that Paul doesn't try to hide his past. He's like, hey, listen, let's talk about it. I used to be a bad guy. I was a terrorist. I tried to kill the church. I killed Christians for a living. That's what I did. And yet God still saw potential inside of me. Can I tell you something? Those of you that are watching on the other side of that screen, God sees potential in you when no one sees any potential at all. When the world counts you out, God counts you in. Whom the world rejects, God accepts. And God says, I've got a plan for your life. I know your mind is a mess. I know your past is a mess. I know you've done some bad things, but I still have a plan for your life. You might have sinned right before you came to church today. You might have sinned even in our building. God still loves you. He still has a plan for you. He hasn't counted you out. He wants to use you for his glory. Just like Paul was saying, listen, I had a bad past, but God, but God. Everybody say, but God. Right? So he has this but God moment. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, you've been set apart since the day you were born. Even before you came into this earth, God set you apart. You might have done some bad things, and maybe some people did some bad things to you. But it has not discounted God's calling on your life. He said he called me by his grace. Now hold on, I want to stay right there. He didn't call me because of my wealth. He didn't call me because of my good looks. He didn't call me because of my family, my connections. He didn't call me because I had the skills to do this or that. He called me simply by the unmerited favor of God. I couldn't achieve it. I could only receive it. God's calling on your life is not because you've been so good and you've earned the calling of God on your life. It's because he loves you so much that his calling on your life supersedes any stuff you've done. So he says, by the grace of God, he was pleased to reveal the son of God in me that I might preach, the, preach Jesus among the Gentiles. So my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I love that Paul says, I didn't go to talk to everyone else about what God talked to me about. When I'm preparing a sermon to preach to you, one of the best things I can do is shut the door and have private time with God. It's so important when God speaks something to you that you don't try to get everybody else's opinions about it. It's good to get advice. It's bad when you discount what God may have spoken to you just because not everyone thinks you have the education to do that, you're qualified to do that, you come from the wrong family, the wrong side of the tracks. God has a plan for your life. And it will happen in private preparation before there's public promotion. So he says, I didn't go to anyone. The next verse he says this. He says, instead instead of going to Jerusalem to see all the big wigs, to see all the great preachers, to see all the apostles, he says, I went into Arabia. I went into Arabia. And later I returned to Damascus. And the next verse he says, for three years, everybody say three years. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and the other apostles and met with them for 15 days. God spoke to me earlier this week to preach a sermon to you about Paul's time in Arabia. I was going to title it Arabian Nights. <laughs> like Arabian Days, hotter than hot. Right? I grew up watching way too much Disney. I was gonna call it A Diamond in the Rough, Aladdin in the Desert, right? But there was, this, there was this moment, if you watched any cartoons growing up like Aladdin, you remember that there was that moment where he's in the Arabian desert. He finds the diamond in the rough. That whole movie, by the way, is him seeking to try to figure out who he is, his identity. Right? So he goes by this other name, Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababa. Y'all are like, what are we doing right now? Trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. God wants to establish who you are outside of what everyone else will say. What God is about to do in this service, in the next 30 minutes, we're going to go through a process. We're going to look at what God would do in Paul's life in Arabia. I almost decided not to preach this sermon, because when God told me to look in the Bible to study what God did in Arabia, there's only one scripture about it. I was like, God, how am I supposed to preach a whole sermon from one scripture, and we don't even know what happened in Arabia? Isn't that like society, though, to skip over the quiet seasons? When they make biographies and movies about people like Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln and the great leaders, we don't really talk about the quiet place. We don't talk about the seasons that aren't highlighted in scripture. We kind of skip over that as if that was insignificant. But I'm telling you today what God spoke to me in private this week. What man thinks is insignificant, the seasons that are invisible, that no one else sees, those are the most important seasons where God is preparing you for the promotion he has ahead of you. So we're going to dive into the process of what God would do in Arabia, embracing what God wants to do in your life today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. God, confirm your word. I pray that we would leave changed, refreshed, encouraged, ready to do what you've called us to do. Lord, let our eyes and our ears and our hearts lean in to hear what you want to speak to us today. And Lord, help us not to be afraid of that which we do not understand. But, Lord, rather, help us to have the courage to embrace even what we don't understand, what we don't know that you're doing in our hearts today. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Keys. I'm so thankful for the band here. Aren't you thankful for the Victory Worship Team? So, about nine and a half months ago, Ashley and I found out she was pregnant. And we were so excited. We were a little nervous though because it's number three and and now we're gonna be outnumbered, right? We've been doing man-on-man defense, now I gotta figure out a zone, right? So I'm gonna talk to you guys that have more than two children, figure out how you guys do that because two kids has been a lot for Ashley and I. It's been a lot to handle. And, and at the same time, there's this excitement. There's this sense of joy. Because we had a miscarriage last year. And Ashley shared it at Mother's Day. Just walking through that, the restoration now of having this baby. is a, It's a beautiful miracle, right? There's a lot of excitement. And so in the first you know, few weeks that we found out, we were calling her parents, calling my mom, talking to our friends. Like, guys, this is so exciting. Our third baby's coming. They were like, we're going to pray for you. We're like, yes, we need that prayer. But it's also exciting, right? It's, there's so much joy. We're preparing. We're getting the car seat. We're getting the preparations ready for this baby. But then something started to happen, not to me, but to Ashley. And I'm going to be careful to talk about this because I don't want to dig myself in a hole with all the ladies in the room. So I'm watching my wife's facial expressions out of the corner of my eye here <laughs> to see if I got the green light here. But something started changing. Her body started developing and making room for this new baby that was being born. So her belly started to make room, started to get a little bigger, right? Her back started hurting a little bit more. Her feet started swelling. She was a little nauseated in the morning, the second trimester, going through all of this. And if we were to take all these symptoms that we see that are happening and go to the doctor and go, what's happening? Why is she feeling this way? He would laugh and he would say, it's part of the process right? These things are normal when you're giving birth to something new. This is part of the process. Everybody say it's part of the process. All right, don't, don't get discouraged. Don't be scared. You might be feeling a little uncomfortable. It may be inconvenient, but your body is making room for that new life that's coming through you into the world. And in the same way as Christians, we go through seasons where God begins to birth something new inside of us, dreams, the next assignment, the next chapter. And it has to be developed on the inside. There's a private preparation before the public proclamation. There's a private development that begins to happen before it's publicly promoted. What God is doing in you right now is no surprise to him that you're feeling a little uncomfortable, that there's a little bit of pain, a little bit of frustration, and if you're looking to the left or to the right and you're comparing your season with somebody else who's further along than you or who's experiencing some sort of harvest, you can kind of get discouraged. You can go, God, why, why am I not seeing breakthrough right now? I, I've, been, I've been in this season long enough. And God says, trust me, my friend, your harvest is coming. I believe that Paul was in Arabia these three years. We know for three years, Paul didn't write a book. He didn't preach to any churches. He didn't do any missionary traveling. Here he was just developing who he was. It was a season of preparation where Paul was pulled away in private, a quiet place where God would begin to develop his character. That later on, decades later, Paul would travel overseas, he would preach in Rome, he would stand before great leaders, right, he would start churches and write the book of Romans and lead Luke to Christ, he would then write the book of Acts, but here in Arabia, here's the place the tension builds, where God begins to work and cultivate what he was doing in his heart. So many of us, we want to skip Arabia, we want to skip the process of preparation, because it's tough. We are a microwave generation serving a Crock-Pot God, right? We just want to stick the popcorn in there, push 30 seconds, and we want it to be already. Y'all are like, I don't know any popcorn that takes 30 seconds, okay? It's about a minute and a half, Paul. All right, I get it. But whatever it is, you want to put the Hot Pocket in there. You want to put something in the microwave, and you're like, God, can I please have my harvest now? And God says, this is going to be a Crock-Pot season. I'm going to prepare you because what I have ahead of you, if you step into it too soon, you won't have the character to sustain yourself where I'm taking you. So what I'm going to do in Arabia is going to be slow. It's going to be painful. And if you look to the left and to the right and you see other people building things really fast and experiencing fast excitement, fast harvest, you're going to be discouraged. So what I want you to do is I want you to shut the door, close the blinders, and I want you to focus on what I'm doing right now inside of you. I think oftentimes we miss out on the purpose of our season because we're so focused on other people's seasons. We're so focused looking at what other people are getting to do, and God says, "What I'm doing in you is so important for right now." See, Paul was anointed on the road to Damascus that day. God shows up, interrupts Paul, right? But something changed. I want to go to Acts chapter one, Acts chapter nine, verse seventeen. Paul, Paul at that time he was Saul. And he had been interrupted by God on the road to Damascus. God said, I've got a plan for your life. Go into Damascus. There's a man that's going to lay hands on you. You're going, to be, you're going to be able to see again. So Ananias lays hands on Saul. Scales fall from his eyes. He can finally see again. He's baptized. Holy Spirit comes inside of him. Regains his strength. He starts preaching, right? In verse, verse 20, it says he starts preaching to friends. He starts preaching to people right there in Damascus. But watch this. Everyone who heard him were astonished, and they said... Isn't this the guy that was doing bad things? Like, don't we know about his past? Who is he to preach to? Us? Don't we know the stuff that he's done? And sometimes in our life, we're anointed for something, but we're not yet appointed for something. We have the anointing to do it, but God says, I, I need to pull you back for a second. I need you to sit down, be humble, right? I need you to let me work on the inside of you before you step out too soon. Because if you step out before it's time, you're going to experience a lot of criticism and you won't have the character and the identity established to be able to handle the criticism that's going to come. So what we don't see in the book of Acts is Arabia. Luke doesn't doesn't mention Arabia. Again, Luke represents so many of us unintentionally, we only highlight the highlights. We only keep the focus on the highlight reel of Paul's life. But Paul mentions it. He says there was a time there When Damascus wasn't working out and I had to get out of there, I had to go to Arabia. There was a season where I was all alone and God was speaking to me. The first thing that God does while we are in this process of preparation is he prepares our identity in the process. He prepares our identity. Everybody say identity. Identity. See, identity precedes activity. If you get the two mixed up, you're going to live your life constantly walking in insecurities. God establishes the identity of Paul. He says, Paul, I've got a calling on your life. There's going to be days in your future where people will make fun of you. They'll say you're a good author, but you're a terrible public communicator, which actually happened to Paul. There's going to be days where your closest friends abandon you. They leave you. You're going to be shipwrecked. You're going to be snake bit. You're going to face people that will criticize you. So I need you to know who you are before you step into that next season. I need to firmly establish your identity. Did you know God did the same thing with Jesus? We don't think about it, but Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old. So what happened during the quiet season of Jesus's life? 30 years, and all of a sudden, he's preaching. He's doing miracles. What was it? It was development. It's preparation. In fact, before Jesus ever preached a sermon, before Jesus ever did a miracle, he's baptized in the Jordan River, and God speaks to him that day. He says, this is my son, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. God was establishing the identity of Jesus before Jesus did any activity. I don't know about you, but when I'm out and about and I'm interacting with strangers, people who don't know me, and they ask me, one of the first things they ask me is, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? That's the question we ask in societies. What do you do? As if what you do determines who you are. What do you do? Oh, you're a teacher? Okay, that's your identity. You're a plumber? You're an electrician? You're a coach? Okay, that's your identity. You're a businessman? You're a car salesman? Okay, that's your identity. You're a pastor? That's your identity. What you do is not who you are. And I learned this even more when I went to Bible College, and our focus at Victor Bible College was just to help people get their identity back in. Not what we do determines our worth or our value or our significance on this planet, but whose we are determines who we are. When I know that I belong to God my Father, I can walk out no matter what I do. My occupation does not determine my identification. My vocation, my location doesn't determine my worth, my value. So whether I'm serving behind the scenes or I'm on stage, the stage doesn't make me. The stage just reveals who I already am. So then if I walk out on the stage and I don't have a firm identity in Christ, then I'm constantly crumbling at the criticism or the compliments, right? I'm living by the pride of compliments or the discouragement of criticism. But when I'm firmly established in the identity of my father, it doesn't matter what you say. The cheers don't make me, right? And the spears can't break me. Why? Because I am founded in the identity of my father, God. So I'm not performing. I'm preaching to an audience of one. I know I am loved, and my father is well pleased with me. When I first stepped in as pastor in the first week, someone came to me and they said, I remember when you played basketball during Sunday night church service, you skipped. I was like, oh, you got me. I'm a sinner. I got a really bad past. There's a lot worse things that I did that they weren't aware of. They said, yeah, I came in the gym and you had a bad attitude. You threw the basketball. You know what I said to them? I said, man, I'm so thankful that God still uses sinners like me. I'm so thankful that God doesn't pick perfect people with a perfect past. I'm so thankful that God can redeem people that may have had a bad attitude in their past. Anyone thankful for the amazing grace of God in your life? That same week that I stepped in as pastor, someone secretly gave me a gift. I still to this day don't know who it it was. Could have been one of you out here. But it was a bag and in the bag was a plaque and a little note that said, God wants you to know this, Paul. And on the plaque, it just said, your father is well pleased with you. And so it sits on my desk. And right after the service, I'll go back there and I'll look at it. And no matter who says anything about me, I know my father's well pleased with me. There's days where I feel like I'm not qualified. There's days where I look to the left and to the right and I compare myself. And comparison is a thief of contentment. Comparison is a thief of joy. And I don't know, maybe I'm the only person in this room that's ever dealt with comparison. But if you have, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you feel so unworthy, so like you're missing out, and God says, hold up, hold up. The process I have you in, Paul, is so beautiful. I know it's painful, but it's required, it's necessary. And I know you may see other people that get to do more than you and have more than you. But the race I have for you is a long race. It's a long road of obedience. It's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be flashy. I'm not the God of flashy. I'm the God of faithful. So it's going to be brick by brick. So here's what God does in my life and what he wants to do in your life is he's got you on this road of just establishing your identity. You may be right now in the dark. You may be in an Arabian season where no one knows the potential that's inside you. Isn't it amazing that Paul was living in Arabia, and I guarantee you the people that were around him had no clue that this dude was gonna write 13 books in the New Testament. You don't know who you're sitting next to. Turn to the person next and you, say, you don't know who you're sitting next to. <laughs> you don't know. There's more than meets the eye. And I imagine Paul just step by step, what good is it to build a house really fast if you don't lay the foundation right? If you skip the shortcuts, that house is going to collapse. I used to, and I still do honestly, battle these feelings of wanting things to happen fast, 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 come on, microwave, please. And and the older saints in the room are probably, y'all are like, he's preaching to the choir. We get this. We're just thankful a young lad is finally figuring it out, right? (laughs) A little young lad. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I, I believe the day will come where I'll look back and I'll go, thank you, God, that you didn't give that too soon. Thank you, God, even though it was painful, even though the road was long, and it took a lot longer than I would have hoped for us to get that thing done, for us to see that breakthrough, that miracle, God says the long road of obedience, right, that step-by-step, the identity that I'm firming up and establishing in you is so important for the promotion I have ahead of you. The second thing that God does is God prepares our perseverance in the process. I want to borrow a scripture that Paul would later on write in his life, Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And I believe Romans chapter five, verse three, carried a little bit of inspiration 20 years prior to him writing it when he's in Arabia. Some of us don't don't believe this, right? That God will be birthing things in our lives that won't be seen publicly for another 20 or 30 years. I believe the things that Paul would write later on in his life carried a lot of inspiration from the quiet season in his life that nobody else saw that the private preparation was preparing the one day public proclamation he would make at Philippi and Colossia, Thessalonica, to the Romans, right? That God was doing something in Paul's life, preparing perseverance. There's things God is writing on the inside of me right now that won't be in my first book. They'll be in my fifth book. They'll come out 20 years from now, right? It's too soon for me to talk about it. Everybody say, let it marinate. There's something that God's doing in you that he's preparing you for, perseverance. So in Romans chapter five, verse three, he says this. He says, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. The word perseverance means steadfast. It means patient. It means the ability to endure. It means stamina. Everybody say stamina. Stamina Stamina means you've got the ability to stick with something long enough beyond the feelings of wanting to quit. Right? and We're in a generation right now of quick quitters. And, and I don't mean to knock on my generation, but for some reason, we've got, we've got to change the labels that have been placed on our generation. The only way to change the labels is to change the behavior, change the actions, recognize who we are. We are a generation. We have to lean in and refuse to leave something just because we're not seeing fast results. We've got to choose to set the example. I want my kids one day to say, dad was so good. I don't want them to say dad was so good at quitting everything that didn't work out so fast, right? No one wants their kids to say that. I want my kids to say, dad had stamina. Dad had perseverance. Dad had a steadfast spirit. I hope when Liam's 25, he says, dad didn't quit everything he started. Dad knew how to stick to it. He had a grit about his life that when everyone else was criticizing, he just stayed faithful to what God had asked them to do. There's something about perseverance that births in us a Christ-like spirit. Christ had perseverance, right? To go to the cross, he's pushing past all the stuff that's coming against him. He was focused, headed towards the cross. There was a perseverance Later on in Paul's life, we see that he was marked by his perseverance. Shipwrecks couldn't stop him. Snake bites couldn't stop him. Mean people couldn't stop him, right? Jail cells uh, couldn't stop him. Being shackled in chains couldn't stop him. He found a way to keep persevering. How many of you guys love watching the Rocky movies? Anybody seen the Rocky movies? There's like six of them, right? And uh, I think about how there's this moment in, in a lot of his movies he puts on the headband, right? Things get serious when the headband comes off. He starts training, right? Come on. He starts working. He starts preparing for the comeback. All right, you can stop the music. Stop the music. Remember that part in Rocky where? Uh, he, he, he kind of loses publicly and it's a little humiliating for him and he feels like giving up, feels like quitting. And that trainer gets in his face and says, Rocky, you're gonna have to work hard. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna have to train hard. If you wanna make a great comeback, you're gonna have to train harder than you've ever trained. And so Rocky, you know, he's got the jump rope and he starts jumping and he starts running. I got a, a friend in this service named Coach JC. I don't know if he's in the house. But uh, JC, he... He trains me when I show up, and uh, <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he, what he'll do is he'll give me my jump rope and his jump rope, and he'll say, okay, Paul, start jumping, and I'll go, for how long? And I'll say, just keep going. When do I stop? How long am I going? He goes, just keep going. What's he doing? He's building in me stamina. He's trying to teach me that it's not about how fast you can finish, It's not about how fast you can get to the finish line. It's about sticking with something. It's about having the discipline to stay with it when you feel like giving up. It's time for me to start doing the work behind scenes, private preparation before the public promotion. See, there's steps to the next season God has for you. There's steps in every season to get to the next place God has for me. As a kid, I used to play video games. Mario, Donkey Kong, Super Nintendo. Come on. Those are the good old days. And I remember playing these games. And I remember getting one, I was in one game, I had beat each level and I was getting to the end of it. I had been working hard for like five months. Y'all are like, what? Anyone who doesn't play video games always makes fun of the people that do. All right. So, but I have been working hard on these levels and I'd been you know, figuring out all the ways to beat each level. Finally, I get to the end of the game. And I remember I got to the end, it said, you have to go back three worlds and repeat a level because you missed a clue. And I was like, what? So I go back and I'm trying to play this certain level to figure out what they're talking about. It took me so many times to finally figure out there was a hidden clue that I missed. Wouldn't it be sad to step into the next promotion and God says, you're gonna have to go back because you missed, you missed a clue. You missed what I was trying to do in the process. Wouldn't it be sad for you to like graduate, you go into the next season and God says, you're gonna have to go back to school. You're gonna have to, you, you missed it. You weren't even checked in. You just kept on praying for me to make the season end and you skipped it. You're gonna have to go back. There's gonna be some repeats here. And, and don't be mad. Because once you get that, then, then you can step into the thing you've always wanted. There's steps to this. I think about in our room, there's there's steps to each section. If I want to go higher, i got to take more steps. Everybody say, take another step. Take another step. That there's steps that God's leading you on. And the Bible says that he orders the steps of a righteous man. He orders the steps of a righteous woman. So if God wants to take me higher, I've got to take another step. Everybody say, take another step. And sometimes, Stephen, my man, sometimes God says, in order to go higher, you got to take a a step lower. In order for you to go to the higher level, you're going to have to humble yourself and take another step lower. You're going to have to serve someone that you thought you were above. You're going to have to help someone that you don't wanna help. I'm gonna lead you on steps. I'm growing your perseverance. And the third thing that God develops in the process is the character. Number three, he, he prepares our character in the process. So number one, he prepares our identity. Number two, he prepares our perseverance. Number three, he prepa- prepares our character. It says in Romans chapter five, verse four, that this perseverance now produces character. Everybody say character. Character is who you are when no one's watching. Character is not what's seen on the stage. Character is what's seen when no one's watching you. And you're sitting there. And you're like, God, do you care about my future? Because I'm still waiting on a harvest. And other people are getting their harvest. Other people are seeing their progress. Is anything happening? And God says, right where I have you, this is important. I've got character development that I'm doing inside you. I'm teaching you to be honest. I'm teaching you how to honor people that may not deserve honor. I'm teaching you how to show honor when no one's watching. You see, character is not what you say when the person's in the room. Character is what you say when they're not in the room. Don't tell me what they said about me. Tell me why they were so comfortable to say it to you. Are you a trash can for gossip? Do people come to you and just share the most negative things about others? Because that could be a character flaw. How's God going to take you to the next level if you can't even honor the people on the level that you're on? God says, I will not promote you until you allow a private preparation of character development. So it's going to be frustrating. There's going to be times where you're sitting in the dark in Arabia. There's going to be times where it's Arabian nights. You know, the thing I think about, I said it earlier and I was joking, but a diamond in the rough. Ashley, can I see your ring? a diamond in the rough. I spent my entire life savings on Ashley's ring. (laughs) Come on, I worked hard, all my lawn mowing money. I remember when I was 22 and I just, I went to Israel diamond store here in Tulsa and I took all my money out of the bank. I said, I wanna buy my wife a ring. And the guy was like, all right, let me see what I can get you. And he said, let me tell you something about diamonds. They don't start off looking pretty. Every diamond starts off in a rough place. What separates a piece of black coal from a diamond is just that one has been through more pressure. One has been through more pressure. I want to take a closer look at this. Why this diamond is so shiny and pretty is because it's endured pressure, pressure, heat. It's gone through a cut, cutting process some of you right now are in this and if you wish it away and go man i just i just wish god would speed up my process and give me my promotion just graduate college just get this season over advance to the next level i'm trying to beat the game and god says don't 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 shortcut the process other people are buying things buying their platform god says you're going to build your platform you're not going to buy it and building takes a lot longer than buying building. I'm going to lay a foundation. It's going to be a long road. There's going to be times where you're frustrated, but I'm cutting and I'm I'm heating up. God is not the God of pain. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. That's not my theology. God is not the author of sickness and darkness. God's a good God. The devil's a bad devil. God, but what God does do is he takes what the devil meant for harm and he turns it into something good. So every attack, every trial, every struggle, every temptation, All the suffering, and there is suffering in following Christ that God does promise us in the New Testament, but all of that, there's a preparation process. I look at my friend on the front row, Joel Stockstill. Joel, will you stand up? We're so honored to have you in the church today. The son of Larry Stockstill and his wife, Amy. If you just knew the story, the testimony of his life, he shouldn't even be alive today, but but God has continued to spare his life. God's continued to save him. Some of you shouldn't even be alive today, but God's continued to deliver you from accidents, calamities, tragedies. And, and for some of us in this room, we're going, why did I have to go through that season? Some of you in this room, you've walked through failed marriages. Maybe you're walking through a season right now where you're not even sure if your marriage is gonna work out. And maybe you feel like you're unworthy or unqualified. Does God even have another spouse for me? Can I tell you today, That if you will submit to the process that God wants to bring you through, God has so many greater things on the other side of your obedience. Today's obedience will affect tomorrow's harvest. But you've got to submit. You've got to say, Lord, whatever you're doing, I surrender. The only way to succeed is to surrender. The only way that you're going to see the diamond be made and be beautiful is if you surrender to the pressure. I feel pressure every week. I feel pressure every week as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor getting up here to preach And if I ran from the pressure and said, God, please take the pressure away. It's just too much. The responsibility to to, to pastor the church and to be involved in the school and the Bible college and the camp and the dream center and be be doing all these things and be a daddy to a two-year-old and a four-year-old, God says, don't run from the pressure, Paul. You were born for the pressure. And if you'll surrender in the midst of the heat and the pressure and the intensity What I have in front of you is beyond your imagination, but you got to surrender. Number four, what does he do? He prepares our hope in the process. So he prepares our identity, he prepares our perseverance, he prepares our character. Number four, he prepares our hope. So going back to Romans chapter five, verse four, it says, Perseverance produces character, character produces hope. And now, verse five hope will not put us to shame. It won't disappoint us. God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope means I'm waiting expectantly. Hope means I'm on my tippy toes for what God's about to do. Hope means I'm on the edge of my seat, that I've not lost heart, that God has something greater in store for my future. Is there anyone that has hope in this place this morning? Maybe you're here right now and you don't have hope. Maybe you could use a refill of hope. Maybe you feel like your cup of hope is running dry and you're saying, God, I I could use some hope. I've been feeling discouraged. I've been feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you've been caught in comparison. God's saying, stop all of that stuff that's been weighing you down. It's time to lean in for what I'm about to do. God's, God's wanting to birth something new. You know, two weeks ago, I came to my wife. I said, babe, let's have this baby. And she was like, sure, Paul, I'll just have the baby. right, like I get to decide. And just go and stick my head in there and tell the baby to come out now, right? The baby's gonna decide. The natural way, the baby's gonna decide. So she was like, please stop putting the pressure on me to have the baby right now. It's gonna come, it's gonna come. It's gonna come when it's ready. It's gonna come when he's ready. So we thought she was gonna have it. We actually went to the hospital and they said, he's not ready yet. You're you're getting closer, you're getting closer. I would say to some of you in this room, you're getting closer. You're getting so close. getting so close. So many people quit right before the fourth quarter. They they, they quit right before the finish line. God says, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't skip this process. So a few days ago, I said, hey, you ready? (laughs) Ashley, you ready to have the baby now? She goes, again, I'll tell you when it's time to go to the hospital. Just wait. We want that baby to stay in the oven as long as he needs to, right? We don't want it coming out too soon. There's something about the development process that when the baby comes, we want him healthy. We want him crying, keeping us up at night. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, there's a timing. God has a timing. I want you to stand your feet all over this room. God has a timing. I didn't even get to the end of my notes. But I just sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to some of you in this place right now. As you're standing all over this place, I will say this. Next week is going to be my favorite week so far this series. You need to bring a friend, bring ten friends with you to church next week. It's a good sermon for people that aren't used to church. Come next week. But i got to say this. As we finish up Paul here, it says before he went to Jerusalem, he had to be lowered in a basket outside the wall of Damascus. There were threats coming against his life. People were trying to kill Paul before Paul wrote a book. The enemy will always try to kill you before you start your public ministry. The enemy came after Jesus in the wilderness, trying to thwart the purpose. Before the enemy came after Moses when he was in a basket, right? And and, and Pharaoh was trying to kill all the babies in the land. The enemy came after David with spears from Saul. The enemy will always turn up the heat right before the breakthrough. If you felt an increase of heat and pressure, I'm telling you, you're about to see your breakthrough. So the heat stirred up on Paul. The pressure stirred up on Paul. They lower him in a basket connected to a rope out of Damascus over the wall in the dark. All I can imagine is Paul just thanking God. God, you're not finished with me yet. He who started this work in me will be faithful to complete it and my God shall supply all my riches according all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus and he's working all things together for good. God, you're with me. You're with me in the dark. You're with me in the valley. You're with me on the mountaintop. Paul would go to Jerusalem. Barnabas would vouch for Paul. Paul would begin his public ministry. But there was three years in Arabia. It was a preparation time. God may have you in that process right now, and what God's asking you to do is just surrender to the process. Just say, God, work in me, create in me a clean heart, Lord. Help me in my character. Lord, help me in my perseverance. Help me to be steadfast. Lord, help me to know who I am in Christ. Let my identity be firmly established in the roots of your word, your opinion, not man's opinion of who I am. Lord, help me to stop comparing myself to everybody else around me. Lord, help me to stop comparing my season. Lord, help me to be so focused on what you're doing right here. I want us just to bow our heads and close our eyes. If God is speaking to you, you today. I want you to just lift your hand up. If you know God's saying it's time to embrace the process. Yeah, you're in a process right now. Yeah, it could be character. It could be perseverance. could be hope. It could be identity. Just raise your hand. If you know God's speaking to you, that there's some things you've been walking through, and God says, stop trying to wish it away. I want you to lean in. I want you to embrace the process. If you raised your hand or should have raised your hand, I want you to leave your chair. Come and join me at this altar. Take a step towards your next level, take a step towards your next season. Take a step towards the process. Just because things are quiet in your life doesn't mean God's not with you. The teacher is always quiet when the students are taking a test. God says, you got to pass this test. I'm in the room with you. I'm on the boat. There's a a test. There's a trial. God says, "Just, just keep going. Just keep going. Persevere. Stamina. Be patient. By faith and patience, they inherited the promises of God. So while Abraham was almost 100 years old, Paul writes later on, he did not waver in unbelief. He faced the facts that his body was as good as dead. But he held on to hope. His hope was not in his age. His hope was not in his stage. His hope was not in his power, his strength. His hope was in the all-powerful God. That the God who brings the dead back to life had the power to bring children to Sarah's womb. Some of you that have been believing to have children God says, it's time to release your faith. Maybe you're here and you say, Paul, I've had so many miscarriages. I don't even want to try again. But God says, don't, don't lose hope. If God's put a promise in your heart, He intends to bring it to pass. God is not your problem, He's your answer. And if you'll lean in and stop running every time God wants you to linger in His presence, Don't be in such a hurry to get out of God's presence. God said, there's something about when Hannah lingered in the presence of God, that's when God gave Hannah the son, Samuel. She stayed in the presence of God. She wept. Her tears were seeds that would produce a harvest of joy. Some of you are sowing in tears right now, but you're about to reap a harvest of joy. You've been sowing with tears. God says, I've watched every tear. I've got every tear, I got a bottle of your tears. There's a harvest of joy on the other side of your obedience, your surrender to forgive, to love, to stick with it, to persevere. God has not forgotten you. I remember right before I stepped in as pastor, my mom had been leading our church for five years and I was watching her, her perseverance, her stamina, her steadfastness, just that long road of obedience. And there were a couple times where she said, Paul, you ready? And sometimes I was like, yeah, I'm ready. And then other times I was like, no, this does not look fun. I would not want to do what you do. And she said, Paul, did God call you? Did God call you? And I would remember, yeah. Yeah. November 22nd, 2009, MD Anderson, Texas, Houston, Texas, the night my dad passed away, I remember God saying, serve your mom, serve the church, get ready, you're going to pastor. She said, that's all you need. God's called you. God will grace you for the weight and the responsibility. God's going to grace you for this next season. Don't forget your calling don't forget your calling. God has called you. He's got a promise on your life. The promise will be yours through faith and patience. If you'll just keep being patient, keep persevering.